Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, my name is Phil, the lead pastor for those uh, who I haven't met, and uh, grateful to connect together to spend some time listening to the Word of God. As you can tell, we're in the series on the book of Nehemiah. We've been journeying through this through the summer months. As a, a quick reminder for those who are maybe jumping in today, Nehemiah is the story of rebuilding and renewal. This comes to us in the part of the biblical drama where the people are coming back from 70 years of exile. And they have an opportunity to rebuild their city, but also to rebuild their lives. So we come to the point in Nehemiah where the wall is actually finished. The, the wall has been built, the gates have been brought back out of the rubble, but now the true rebuilding project actually begins. You see, the goal for Nehemiah was never just to complete a construction project. There was a deeper desire in, in the vision that God gave him, and it was the rebuilding and renewing of the people of God. Externally, the structures are starting to look put back together. They are reconstructed and renewed. But what we discover in our text today is that this internal spiritual renewal has a lot of work to do in the lives of the people. What's notable is the wall actually isn't even mentioned anymore, which tells us that that wasn't the end goal. The end goal is a restored people who recover their place of, of being a light to the nations. The external structures are sound, and yet, as we see, the, the people are noticing a deeper longing, a deeper need for the spiritual renewal in their lives. And I wonder if that maybe names where some of us come today. We, too, have emerged from a very disruptive season, and I know a lot of us don't want to talk about it anymore, but I think the effects of it are still being felt that we have come through a couple of years of great trauma and loss and grief. And what I notice is that this summer, we're excited to try and rebuild our lives. Vacations are back, planes are full, restaurants are filled, and we want to get back to a sense of normal. And in some ways, those are, are healthy developments for us. I'd say go on a vacation and go out and enjoy a good meal. We need to get back to some of those rhythms. And yet, what I'm noticing culturally and even noticing in my own life is that, well, the external realities of life are starting to look a little bit put back to normal, there's still some underlying internal renewal that is needed. And one of my concerns is that we're going to place a whole lot of hope in vacations and restaurants and come back to life in the fall and realize that there's still some healing needed. There's still some renewal needed in our own lives. Like the Israelites, externally things might seem normal, but internally we have a, a need for God to do some work in our hearts and our minds and our souls. I heard an interesting statistic that I think is just like a big picture snapshot of where we're at culturally right now. Uh, in the year leading up to the pandemic, they traced that on average, there were 10 incidents of plane passenger disruptions on airplanes a month globally. And I actually think that's pretty good. Like, good job, humanity. You know, you think of all the flights that are happening every day. Ten a month reported globally where they had to, like, deal with a disgruntled passenger, turn the plane around. In 2021, the average of 500 a month. 
here. It's gone down a little bit. It's down to about 360. But it's just kind of this big picture snapshot of like, there's some stuff going on for us culturally. We're still feeling the effects of the pandemic. And maybe in your own personal way, you can kind of connect with ways that life isn't totally back to normal that our reserves are maybe really low and we're still finding it hard to, to re-engage with people. And uh, there's some, some healing that's needed in our lives. We're discouraged. We're struggling to get back into a, a, a life that we, we desire for ourselves. And I want to speak into that today. I think this text speaks into those places where we long for a deeper spiritual renewal. What I, what I want to engage today is, is how God works to renew his people. And the good news is that God is the one that does the renewing. This isn't something that we have to try and do by our own strength and willpower alone. But what I do discover is some rhythms, some pathways that put us into the presence of God, that place ourselves before God so that he can do that renewing and transforming work in our souls and in our hearts. And so I want to notice how God uh, meets these people in their longing and how he might meet us in our longing for renewal. Now, I want to say a couple things. First, this isn't an exhaustive list, and there may be some things that are not named in this story that we do need. So I don't want to say that we're covering all angles here, but I want to notice a couple pathways that might lead us towards renewal. Another thing I, I just want to say, last week I put together and I, I started a new rhythm again of uh, putting together a sermon response guide, and there's going to be a lot of stuff coming at you, and if you are someone that wants to go back and review quotes, uh, there's a, a list of all the notes and quotes and questions out on the kiosk in the center. You can find that online, so don't feel like you have to get it all written down. Just be open to maybe the, the couple words that God wants to speak to you as we listen to the word today. And so the first way that I see uh, the people opening themselves up to spiritual renewal is that it happens as people lean in or engage in community. What's notable to me about this renewal or revival in chapter 8 is that it doesn't come from the top down. It wasn't the leaders coming together to say, how can we do this? But instead, the people themselves notice this deep longing for renewal in their own hearts, and they initiate, and they engage. This is like a preacher's dream. They go and find the preacher and say, can you come and read the scripture for five hours and preach to us for five hours? And we're going to stand up. I'm like, this is amazing, right? <laughs> the people, based in this deep longing in their hearts, engage and lean into community. They go get Ezra, they build a platform, they, they stand and they, re, they listen to the word and they engage a process of discipleship. Ten times in this short passage, we hear the phrase, all the people. This is a, a movement of the whole people of God, not just the professional Christians. It happens out in the public square and there's an emphasis on how all people are included Twice we hear this repetition, the men, the women, and all who could understand. This means the young people, the kids, were standing and listening. And what this tells me is that if we are going to experience spiritual renewal, we cannot simply be passive consumers of religious experiences. But there's a call for us to engage deeply, 
to seek out and, and lean into community, to be empowered in our spiritual journey. I notice how we spend time in the Word of God. If we hope to be renewed spiritually, we, we can't limit our spiritual journey to an hour on Sunday. We can't limit it to an hour on Sunday. This is a rather provocative quote from Dallas Willard. I just got to throw a Dallas Willard quote. Is my mic cutting out? Yeah, let, let's switch over to the red mic. And so this is what, what Willard says. We must flatly say that one of the greatest barriers to meaningful spiritual formation in Christ-likeness is overconfidence in the spiritual efficacy of regular church services, of whatever kind they may be. Though they are vital, and we're going to emphasize that as well, they are not enough. Though they are vital, they are not enough. We do need these rhythms of gathering and community. But for us to experience a deep spiritual renewal, it is calling us to engage fully and to invest in spiritual community and spiritual formation. In Galatians 5, uh, Paul says that if we are to live by the Spirit, we need to keep continually in step with the Spirit. And I think one of the things we often do is we go on a weekly jog with Jesus, and we're not keeping on continually, regularly, in step with the Spirit throughout the week. And so I see an empowered laity, an empowered people of God, all the people who are seeking, seeking this. And so I wonder what that looks like for you. What does engaging or re-engaging in this life of formation and community look like for you? The, the second way I see the people opening themselves up to spiritual renewal is through a transformative reading of Scripture. A transformative reading of Scripture. So we see in the reading of the Word how central the Word of God is to renewing the people in this scene. But what I'm interested in, in is not just that they read the Scripture, but how they read the Scripture. There's a lot of Bible reading going on, but some of the ways we encounter the Word or use the Word do not actually lead to transformation. If we're not careful, it can just lead to information or getting our opinion validated or getting our facts right. But I, I notice in this text that as these people encounter the Word of God, it has a very transformative effect on them. This is a quote I think I may have shared by Eugene Peterson before, but he says this, reading the Bible, if we do not do it rightly, can get us into a lot of trouble. The Christian community is as concerned with how we read the Bible as that we read it. It is not sufficient to place a Bible in a person's hands with the command, read it. That is quite as foolish as putting a set of car keys in an adolescent's hand, giving him a Honda and saying, drive it. <laughs> so we're interested in with this question, how do we read the Word of God? How do we handle this Word in such a way that it leads to formation in the ways of God, and not into ways that can be misunderstood or actually be used in, in really harmful ways? I think we can point to lots of examples of that, even culturally right now, how the Scripture is being used to validate things very contrary to the Word of God. This is a concern for Jesus. When Jesus encounters, uh, encounters a religious legal 
scholar in the New Testament. This is leading up to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the legal scholar knows all the right answers, but notice what Jesus asks. What is written in the law, he replies to this man. And then he asks this question, how do you read it? How do you read it? This person was reading the scripture to justify a narrow view of the neighbor. <laughs> and Jesus proceeds to tell a story about how reading scripture is called, calling us to a deeper sacrificial love for others. So how do these people read the word in such a way that it leads to spiritual renewal? And I want to notice a couple things. The, the first thing is that I, I believe they have a very holistic engagement with the word that hits their heart, their mind, and their behavior. And so first, in verse 5 and 6, we see that the scripture engages them at the level of the heart. This is not just an academic exercise. And so we read, Ezra, open the book, and then I'm going to skip all the names. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> Doreen, for reading them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up, and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Can you see their posture to the word of God? They come into scripture not seeking, again, to validate an opinion, to stand over it as if they're the ones in control trying to, to defend their preconceived perspective. But they actually come in humbly and with a spirit of worship. And as they encounter the word, they are moved to fall down in praise and the worship of God. I think I've shared before from Dale Bruner, but he says, if you want to understand the scripture, you need to stand under it. I think a lot of times we stand over it. We're in control. We have our agenda. But they come in with an openness to encounter God. They come with an expectation that the living God is at work through this word, and it moves them at the level of the heart to the place where they fall down before God in worship and in praise. Perhaps that is a posture that we might take to the Word of God. Their reading of the Word engages their mind. And so in Nehemiah 8, verse 8, it says, They read from the book of the law of God, the Levites, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. And so the Levites go into great lengths to explain the word. This reminds us that the word of God is sometimes confusing, and there can be misreadings of the word. And so scripture is read in a way where there is accountability, and there is community, and there is reflection on how to properly apply it in our lives. Now, this is the way that the Levites help the people apply the scriptures properly. What I see Ezra doing, what I see the Levites doing is he is putting the scripture in a bigger story. You likely notice that in response to the reading of the word of God, they began weeping and they were overcome with their sin and, and their shame. But what Ezra does is he places that experience in a bigger story of salvation so that they are not overcome with hopelessness. That individual elements of the law, if not placed in the bigger story, could lead to a place of being overwhelmed. But Ezra reminds them that this is a day that reminds us of God's salvation, that the joy of the Lord is our salvation. And so uh, we read, this is from one commentator, Ezra set their legitimate sense of failure within the wider context of God's grace and invitation 
And this is something that I find so important when we read the word, something that I find myself doing often is trying to let scripture interpret scripture, that we can get lost sometimes in an individual proof text and miss the bigger story and the gift of the Levites and Ezra as they help us place scripture in a bigger story so that we don't miss the hope, we don't miss the point. So the scripture engages them at the level of the heart, the mind, and lastly, it engages their behavior. And so when they read the law, they then go do it. Nehemiah 8, 12, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. These words uh, do not just give them a new perspective, a new point to argue, but they live into it affects them at the, the level of behavior. And that is the purpose of the word of God, right? The Great Commission is to go and make disciples who learn to obey all that Christ has commanded. And we've often missed that and said the Great Commission is to make converts who give verbal assent to four opinions about who Jesus is. The goal is the transformation of how we live I think I've used this illustration, but if I give my kids a command, like, don't run across the street, if they said, well, Dad, I memorized this phrase, don't run across the street, and I can tell you in Greek how to say that, but if they don't actually, like, obey it, they're going to miss the point, right? And that's how we often treat Scripture. We talk about it, we discuss it, we memorize it, we can conjugate the Greek verbs, but do we do it? (laughs) Do we live into that? This is how the word has an effect on their life, mind, heart, and behavior. And so the invitation for us, I believe, is to re-engage the word of God. And I I notice how they elevate it. They build this platform, and and it's just very central in their life. And I, I just wonder, like, what are we elevating? What are we giving a platform to in our hearts and minds? If we are being discipled through the word for an hour on Sunday, but being discipled by social media and cable news for 30 hours a week, what's really forming our hearts and our actions? So again, it it sounds like a simple thing, but it's such a profound thing that we need to come back for. Can we platform, give a platform to the word of God in our hearts, lift it up, elevate it in our daily, weekly, monthly rhythms? The last thing I notice is that the people open themselves up to spiritual renewal by rediscovering rhythms of remembrance. Rhythms of remembrance. We didn't read the last part of Nehemiah 8, but as they read the word of God, as the law is read, they realize that they are right at the point in the annual Jewish cycle of festivals to practice the festival of booths. This is an interesting one. And so Nehemiah 8.14 says, they found written in the law, so they're reading this again for the first time in a long time. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. They said, here we are, it's in the seventh month. This is what God has asked of us. So the festival of booths is a pretty interesting festival. And what, what the Israelites would do is that for a week, they would basically have a camp out. 
they would go and they'd find palm branches and, and leaves and they would make these tabernacles or booths or huts or Coleman tents. And they would live in them for seven days as a family. Now, I just got back from a camping trip and spent three days with my kids and three sleepless nights in a tent. And so I'm kind of glad we don't do this <laughs> as part of our spiritual practice. I'm exhausted. Uh, but it's an interesting one because what happens when you, you camp, right, is you, you realize uh, that... Um, that you don't have all the luxuries that you're used to. It kind of exposes uh, who you really are as a person, right? We basically pay to be homeless. That's what I was saying this week. But, um, but it's an interesting, and the, the purpose of this festival is this, and this is what we read back in Leviticus, which was what they were reading. Live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths. So your descendants will know this is the purpose. Your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. This was an annual rhythm of remembrance. People enacted what it was like to be on that Exodus journey before they had entered the promised land, before life was stable and prosperous. They were in a place of deep dependence on the Lord. And God, in his wisdom, knew that we would forget our dependence on the Lord when things became stable, when things became prosperous. And so he said, yearly, let's remember this. Remember what it was like. Remember what life was like before you were in the promised land. So we do not forget that God is the one who brings deliverance. I think this was an important practice for the people of Israel to discover in this particular moment. The walls are now finally rebuilt, and there would have been a danger to finally feel secure in the walls, in the external structures, but they were now going to keep this rhythm of remembrance lest they forget the God who had provided and delivered them. Walter Brueggemann sums it up well when he says that prosperity can create amnesia. Prosperity can create amnesia. When we are in a place of stability and prosperity, we can, if we're not careful, start to think that we don't actually really need God, that we got this. I got everything we need. I got a hot water tank. I got a microwave. I'm doing great. But when we go and live in a makeshift, we're exposed again to our vulnerability, and we are reminded of the story that God is the reason we have what we have. And so I, I just wonder what rhythms of remembrance, rhythms of renewal are at work in your life. We ought to expect that amnesia will set in, that we will lose sight of God as we get caught up in the stable rhythms of everyday life. And so we need to be prepared for that by having rhythms where we remember who God is and remember our need for him. This is a quote from Douglas Steer. Again, these are all on the handout, so don't write furiously. But he, he says this. He says, expect dryness. Expect vacillation of purpose. If you would stop drifting, which we all do, and live intentionally, you must, of course, renew your purpose daily. Since you are not an angel, but a man, you will run down daily and like a clock must be rewound establish a daily habit of opening yourself for renewal. I love that image of like a clock that's winding down. 
And I think our clocks are just like, I don't think we can even get them fully wound after the last two years. We can maybe get back to 30% and then we're pretty spent. By 5 p.m. we're irritated with our kids. Maybe even 3 p.m., right? We're just, we run down quickly. We're, we're, we're in our humanity needing to be in regular rhythms of renewal. So we need to expect that, prepare for that, and ask this question, what are those rhythms that will remind me of what God has done and who God is in our life? I think it's helpful sometimes to think of this in terms of daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, and annual rhythms. What are those daily ways we open ourselves up to renewal? What are the weekly things we do as we gather in community? But then are there key moments throughout the year where God is calling you to really re-engage? We have some of those rhythms in, in Lent and Advent and Easter. Well, we no longer practice the Festival of Booths. But we do have something that has replaced it. In John 7... Jesus attends the festival of booths. And one of the things that happened over this seven-day festival is that the priests would have this ritual of pouring out water every day. And it was a ritual that reminded and called upon God to provide rains for the next harvest season. It was this very visual act of calling upon God to provide and to renew and refresh us. And so in John 7, Jesus is at this festival. It's the last day. And I want you to notice what he does in verse 37. On the last day of the great feast, the the festival of booths, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus sees himself as the true antidote to the longings we have for renewal. He actually comes to fulfill the longings that are expressed in the festival of Booth. He says, I am this true water that will restore and renew you, that will unleash the the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church. I am the one who is leading you to a deeper and more permanent and eternal exodus. I am one greater than Moses that will lead you out of what enslaves you into freedom. And so Jesus, in effect, replaces the festival of booths with his own life, with his sacrificial death, his resurrection and ascension. And that is why we have a different rhythm of remembrance that I'm excited to lead us in to this morning as we come to the table. Jesus knew that we would be a forgetful people. And so he said to do this act regularly in remembrance of me. I'm wondering what you are turning to today to fill those longings for renewal in your life. After a couple of years of disruption, years of trauma, we likely come with longings, feeling empty today. May the God who has proclaimed himself to be the true water, the spring of living water, come and refresh you now as we practice this rhythm of remembrance. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we now come to the table. And would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that in your great love, you desire to 
draw us back regularly into this hope that you are the true wellspring of living water. Would you rain upon our dry and dusty lives? Would you renew us now as we come to the table? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.